Hi everyone, in this episode of the podcast From Research to Reality, I have extreme pleasure to host uh, Laurel Krieger, who is the Chief of Staff of City Office responsible for planning and operations. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks. So I have always found you one of the most interesting people in labs. You have uh, such diverse uh, history with labs. Uh, rather than me interpreting, can you say a few words for our audience? Sure. Uh, so I came to labs in a really roundabout interesting way because I was running my own small business and one of my customers was an R&D manager mm -hmm. at labs. And so he brought me into labs and I loved it so much that I've never left. Uh, so I basically managed different types of engineering teams, business process teams, communications marketing, strategic planning. Um, which is really why I've stayed so long at the company and with the CTO office is because you're always learning and I get to kind of do a, basically a new job every couple of years and, and so it keeps it interesting, keeps it challenging and making you feel like you're making a contribution. So here I am that many years later now um, running operations for the labs and planning and, uh, and also doing chief of staff. And it's also extremely successful story. I mean, people like when you know they always grow <laughs> and improve. But part of the planning is also setting the strategy. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about the strategy in general, how important it is for any corporation, both at the highest level and then percolating all the way down to the teams and individuals? Yeah. I think the most important thing about having a strategy that is really clear and compelling and simple to understand is that then you don't have to spend a lot of time and effort helping everyone figure out what their job should be and what their responsibilities are. Because if you communicate to everyone the strategy at the top level and then at the organizational level you've connected your strategy to the company strategy, then everyone naturally sort of falls into place there. They know what we're trying to do, they know what outcomes we're trying to get to. Um, you can clearly talk about it with you know people in other business groups or with our customers or our external partners. And that just puts everyone on a level playing field of being able to you know, kind of run uh, in parallel but independently with each other to uh, get the jobs done that we need. And it's also in a way shared responsibility because you set the strategy at the top and then everyone tries to learn so they do their part of the work. Yeah, yeah. it's really the best example of, I always think everything is a little bit of tops down and a little mm -hmm. bit of bottoms up, usually more bottoms up than tops down and part of the tops down is just being clear about the strategy because all the rest of the magic actually just happens on its own that way. And then the trickiest part when these two come together yes. and align and that's <laughs> where you check. So now that we've spoken about it in general, what, what is HPE strategy? HPE's strategy is really about um, the world data moving from the data center to the edge and everything and all the opportunity that comes with that. Mm -hmm. So we talk about being um, edge-centric, cloud-enabled, data-driven. And what that means is HPE is in a really unique position to operate across all of that space. Mm -hmm. So starting with your data, uh, we can bring, you know, bring special security to that. We bring AI to that. Uh, we bring a deep expertise in how to do that at the data center level, but also at the, at the edge. And what you're going to have is those insights and actions you know, can't go from the edge back to the data center. They need to stay and happen where they are. And so all of the technology that we've been working on for so long is really you know, fundamental to this strategy and connecting between those spaces. Um, there's really not a lot of other companies 
that go, you know, span across the whole breadth of it, and then also go deep with the security, the AI, and what it is that you want to get out of your data. And, and so what is the role of labs where both you and I sit? Uh, I remember over the decades, because that's long how we've been here, uh, there were different roles. For example, under Dick Lampman, one of the roles was to create a strategy mm -hmm. for whole of HP. What is today's uh, role of, of HP Labs uh, as a whole and then as individuals? Yeah, we're really lucky that in one way the role of labs has never changed, and that is that Bill and Dave form labs mm -hmm. to be uh, a place that's a little separate from the BUs, which are focused, you know, more directly on, um, you know, the quarter this week, the next month, next quarter, and the, the uh, revenue <coughs> revenue and profit. And at labs, you know, separating out a little, so there's a place where you can think about what comes next. Uh, and that could be six months from now next, it could be three years from now what's next, or it could even be beyond that. And so fundamentally, that's still a big part of our the core of our mission, um, is really to think about what's next, and then to develop those technologies that create the opportunities for the company to take advantage of what's coming. Um, I think we are much more aligned uh, with our businesses and our customers now than we have been sometimes in the past. Mm -hmm. So we work really closely back and forth. Um, we, you know, we talk to customers, multiples of people in labs talk to multiples of customers every day. Um, so we really understand what are the pain points and the problems and then what are the opportunities and how can we help them. And that informs our work so that we're making things that can be picked up by our business unit, put into a product or a service or solution, or perhaps um, brought to market through a partner and commercialized, and so it has a, a real impact to the company. So speaking of customers and talking to them, this whole space was created for this purpose, yeah. and I think you are one of the chief contributors to this. Yes. Is there something you want to tell us about this space? The Innovation Showcase, which is where we're sitting today, was um, uh, just an, an idea of our CEO, Antonio Neri, when he saw that we were building new headquarters and realized um, you know, there was some space here. He said, I want innovation to be front and center for my employees, for visitors, for customers. And so this space in particular is built to tell the story of our innovators across the company. And it doesn't have to be technology. Actually, this behind us is a piece of artwork that shows how we think about sustainability. So it's really more about business process. And, um, and also, the other thing here is not just to talk about our innovators, but we can go a little further out into the future. We can experiment a little in this space. Um, and it's open to all of our employees pretty much all of the time. And so it's not just customers that get to come through here, like with our executive briefing centers that are really exciting and inspiring to look at, but not all our employees get to go there all the time. So here, everyone can come in here and, and learn about it and get excited. And what we really hope, what Antonio hopes, is people want to see themselves in here so that it is a motivation to go and themselves do something interesting and, and amazing that could come and be showcased here. And, and location is excellent. Uh, every day as they walk by, come <laughs> yep. in and out, they pass by yes, this. Yes, we have uh, first class real estate. Yeah. Um, so that was one example where you actually executed a project to create this space. Mm -hmm. But you're also doing the executive management. Uh, you're a level two manager. Uh, which is, that's what uh, they say. Still, yeah, that's <laughs> what they say. So how do you feel in that role? What are your daily responsibilities? Mm -hmm. What do you like? What would you like to do more or less? Yeah. So for me, I've always been very hands-on. So I like to know how things work and tinker a little bit and understand kind of, you know, 
share the, the burden of the work that we have to do. So I do spend a lot of time still, um, you know, formatting slides or writing some of the messaging or, you know, project managing some of the work. Um, but then, of course, as an executive, you're also expected to spend um, a lot of time, you know, outside of that space. And I have a super great team, so they don't need my help. They probably wish I wouldn't be so hands-on with them sometimes. Um, you know, so then there's really the parts about, uh, like one of the biggest things uh, at kind of the executive level is how do we talk about CTO and labs in a way mm -hmm. that makes sense to the rest of the organization, to our CEO and the executive council. Um, you know, how do we show the value that we bring in language that, that they, you know, that makes sense to them. Um, we talk to customers a lot and, uh, you know, from me, because I'm not technical per se, um, I would usually talk about sort of how we innovate and how we think about innovation and how we think about R&D in the company, which customers are really interested in because they want to know what, what do you guys do and how do you do it. Um, and then you spend, you know, some amount of time in, you know, fire drills and things like that where you have to, you know, something needs to be sort of fixed and, and smoothed. Um, so I, I don't really feel like it's a lot different in some ways than when I was maybe at a, at a couple levels different, but I, you know, before being an executive. But I think that it's, um, I think you just need to spend more of your time, you know, with people and the relationship building and then really practicing and being clear and simple about what it is that we're doing and, and why it matters. So if we go back to the lower levels of management when you were, you started as a project manager. I remember we were almost project managers at the same time, managing technology. And then you moved on managing people and then you moved on to managing uh, the whole organization effectively. Mm -hmm. So what kind of skills do you need for one versus the other versus the third? Yeah, I think, and I actually started as even an individual contributor. So I even didn't even start in management here. Um, so I think, you know, when you're doing the when you're doing the job, mm -hmm. and at any level, you can you spend some amount of time doing the job. That's when you need to be kind of a subject matter expert about the work that you do. So that's you need to be knowledgeable and really, you know, competent, capable, and grow yourself in your knowledge and practice of your job. That's what makes a kind of a high performer. Um, in people and project management, everything gets more complex. Um, and sometimes the things you're doing get more visible. So, you know, you have to really pick up on um, some of the better people skills, mm -hmm. um, being tactful, um, being positive. Uh, you know, I try to be really positive, um, but sometimes the, the voice in my head is, wants to just kind of criticize, but you learn over time how to, you know, package that in a better way so that people um, can actually hear what you're trying to say and, and respond to that. Um, one time after I'd been doing people management for several years, I switched back to being an individual contributor for two years. And I really didn't like it because I like we and I like the team. And, uh, and so that was a good learning for me of like, well, it was really good to go get deep again and learn you know, some new areas because I did a lot around um, our strategy and strategic planning mm -hmm. in those two years. Um, but I was you know, uncomfortable saying I all the time and I wanted to be able to say we again. And so I really enjoy the you know, people management aspect of the job. Going quickly back to this criticism and communicating criticism, as a soccer coach, we were taught uh, 
positive coaching. <laughs> and they say the good ratio is for every one criticism, you need seven positive critiques. Yes. And even if you give criticism, you do sandwich. Yeah. Say something positive, then. That's right. Listen. Switching the topic completely, we're in the Silicon Valley. Uh, mm -hmm. What is good about it? There are many good things, but, uh, yeah. and is there any downside? Yeah, I think the Silicon Valley is, it's just the culture. There's a culture of our physical place, mm -hmm. which is sort of interesting to say because you don't always think about it that way. So the culture of the whole Silicon Valley is about openness and ingenuity and invention and creativity um, where there's been so many like wild success stories that people don't even feel they have limits in ways that probably in other places you don't feel like you have the opportunity to do here. So I think that that's really a big part of the culture that makes this a really great place. There's a bunch of universities, right? We've got in San Francisco and San Jose and Stanford and Berkeley. Uh, you know, you just have tons of universities so you have this influx of you know, students who come and go, entrepreneurs who come and go, huge corporations like HPE, you know, Hewlett Packard that have been here for much longer than that and spawned, you know, whole industries mm -hmm. themselves. Um, so that's really the good part is you just get a lot of diversity, a lot of energy, a lot of opportunity. The flip side of that is people work very hard here. Um, you can get kind of sucked into the rat race, as you call it, um, like, do you have balance in your life? What is your purpose? Because if you think your purpose is to, you know, get in a company that goes to IPO and then make a lot of money, well, first, that doesn't happen to as many people as we think. That's just, you know, a story that gets told that happens here and there. Um, so really staying centered on kind of what's your purpose and are you giving something back and, 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 uh, and having that balance. Um, and then there's the things we see in the news around here about, you know, the high real estate prices, Traffic, yep, traffic's very real. And, and so with a really vibrant economy comes some of those headaches. Um, and, you know, we need to figure that out too. We can almost forget stock prices as indicator of business. Just look at the streets. If they are busy, <laughs> yes, know, exactly. Uh, the, the business is doing well. Yeah. Uh, one of the characteristics of Silicon Valley is that it's very inclusive. So anyone can come and succeed or fail. Yep. So how important is inclusiveness for the company such as... Uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise and, yeah. and our labs. Yeah, inclusiveness is really important because if you're not being inclusive, there are voices in your organization and in your community that you're not hearing at all. Um, and the whole point of when they say that diversity makes teams stronger and perform stronger and companies that have good diversity outperform you know, their peers, it's because you're getting those really different styles and points of view and, and those are being heard and acted on and being kind of integrated into the whole you know, culture of that company. So if you're not inclusive, um, and, and inclusive is more than just diverse, because you could have a diverse demographic, mm -hmm. um, but if the, the, you know, the people aren't feeling like they can talk and they're not being heard and they're not participating and they're not empowered to do that, which to me is all part of inclusivity, it's, you know, it's all for nothing that you have that demographic of diversity. Um, so for HPE in particular, you know, we're a tech company and so we know tech companies in the Silicon Valley are, you know, shorter on women than they should be, shorter on some minorities than they should be. Um, and I think that that's one of the first steps to help improve that is for everyone to kind of really practice what does it mean to be inclusive, you know, even in a one-on-one -on -one setting, in your team meetings, in your organization meetings, um, 
that open feedback, open listening. I always say pause and let a different voice. There's people who like to be heard all the time and I say, if you don't talk, it won't be silent. Someone else will talk who normally doesn't, so let them come in, you know? Um, so I think it's just really an important, and, and for innovation, we're in labs. I mean, you can't have creativity without teams and bouncing ideas off of each other and bringing diverse perspectives to that. So you touched on diversity. Can we go a little bit deeper on the women in engineering mm -hmm. and in um, Hewlett-Packard Labs and Hewlett-Packard Enterprises as a whole? Yep, yep. So um, increasing the number of women in technology is something that's been you know, on kind of the national agenda, I guess, for several years now. And so I think that the activities you see like in the grade school, middle school, high school levels about increasing uh, girls' interest in STEM um, um, types of classes and then careers, that, that all is going to help um, because I think that's expanding the, the supply of, of women who are technical. Um, from my point of view, I'm not a technical woman. I'm a woman in a, tech, a really heavily technical organization. I don't have an engineering degree or a technical degree, but I love technology and what it can do and learning about it and getting hands-on, like I said. Um, and so I do think one of the things is, you know, to think across our different jobs, like for HPE, it's not just, you know, in, increase the number of women in technology, so engineering women, it's also, in addition to that, um, you know, women running our businesses, women doing product management, um, you know, and women doing strategy, and so different roles like that where you're shaping and influencing the company too um, and having an impact, you know, whether or not you're, you know, in engineering by, by trade. And as a closing thought, uh, one of the many things I was impressed with you most recently was how you secured the uh, uh, sponsorship for IEEE. Uh, <laughs> that was really impressive because we always funded out of our own budgets now, you said, as a CTO, we're going to do that, and mm -hmm. that was, so I want to thank you for that. Absolutely, and that was a fun one because we, you know, we kind of used the reasoning where we had to, there was, you know, some compliance things of why we need to do that, and we use it for our pants and so forth, um, but actually, I love when you get a double win, which is we needed to do it anyway, but it was actually the right thing to do, yeah. um, to give access like that to all of our employees who have ideas and who want to explore and then learn more about the, you know, the different environments, and IEEE is a great resource for that, so I'm really excited when we get to go out, because that just happened yesterday, so we haven't announced it yet, so I'm excited when we get to yeah. tell everyone that they have access to that, before we're be really happy. And we already learned a little bit about patents that um, IEEE uh, graciously offered to us, so yep. a lot of benefits. Thank yeah. you very much. Thanks. Uh, I hope everyone will enjoy as much as I did. It's always a great pleasure talking to Laurel. All right. Thanks, Thank you.